All right, let us begin worship this morning by listening to our prelude. We gather today as people beloved by God. We gather as people who are created in God's image of love, compassion, and hope. We gather as people who have been called by God to shine God's love to all people, every single one. We gather today as people who may not be physically together, but we are all the body of Christ, united in love and hope. As a sign of our unity and faith, together we remember that we have been baptized. Our baptism reminds us of the close relationships we have been called to, a relationship with God, with each other, and with our neighbor. It reminds us that without our earning it or proving ourselves useful in any way, God claims each of us, and God will continue to claim us. Remember that before we could choose God, God chose us. Before we could know God, God knew us. Even when we do not choose God, God chooses us, loves us, and forgives us. At this time, I invite you to dip your finger in a bowl of water and trace the sign of the cross on the forehead of yourself or your family members. As you do, say, you are a beloved child of God. One of the gifts of faith is the regular opportunity to speak the truth. We get things wrong. God encourages us to admit we are not perfect, to confess the ways we have done harm by things we have done and by things that we should have done but did not do. One of the other great gifts of faith is the regular opportunity to hear good news. You are still loved, you are forgiven, and you are encouraged to keep trying and keep living with all your heart. Today we practice and we encourage everyone to confess the many ways we have not lived up to God's hopes for us and even our hopes for ourselves. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid, 
Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we say we have made no mistakes or believe we are perfect, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our mistakes, our selfishness, our greed, our racism, our hard-headedness, or whatever else we have done, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our actions, our thoughts, and our deeds, and remove our guilt and shame that we might be made new. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you and against our brothers and sisters in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our mistakes, missteps, lies, and even racist beliefs. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are forgiven. And in your forgiveness, you are free to keep living, keep trying, keep learning, and most importantly, you are free to love and serve your neighbor, especially those in need. Amen.
Our reading today from mm -hmm. Esther 3, 1 through 11, and then 7, 1 through 10. After these things, King Hazarius promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and did obedience to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or do obedience. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? When they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would avail, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or do obedience to him, Haman was infuriated, but he thought it beneath him to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So having been told who Mordecai's people were, Haman plotted to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Hahazurus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, which means the lot, before Haman for the day and for the month, and the lot fell on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's law, so that it is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued for their destruction, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the money is given to you and the people as well to do with them as it seems good to you. So the king and Haman went to a feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Azazurus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden, but Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, 
Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in the attendance of the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman was prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. Here ends our reading. I don't know if you can see this, but I received this plaque from a family when I left St. James and went off to my internship site. It's from the book of Esther, and it reads, perhaps this is the moment for which you have been created. You see, I was both excited and filled with fear, questioning myself if I had the courage or the wisdom and the strength to leave my church family. Would I be accepted? What if I didn't fit in? Would they be able to see how scared I was? Would I be able to find a place and use my voice? The book of Esther, it's filled with all the drama of a mini-series on Netflix. I encourage you to read through it if you haven't done so already. The key players are a beautiful young virgin who wins the affection of the king and then becomes a heroine. You have a pompous villain. You have a protester. And you read about coincidences and conflicts. There are secrets, evil plots to kill, and even murder. And nowhere in this book is God ever mentioned. So in our readings for today, we, we go to chapter 3, and then we read from chapter 7. But there's a lot that happens before and then in between those two chapters. So I wanted to give you a few highlights of those so that you can see and understand the magnitude of what is happening and understand the character of Esther, of Mordecai, of Haman, and of the king. Now last week we heard about Queen Vashti, and this week we have Esther as our queen. So I wanna start out in chapter two, where we find that there is a secret that Esther is keeping from the king. She is a Jew. You see, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, had advised Esther not to reveal her true identity so that she could become queen and be well taken care of. Mordecai is concerned for her safety and he works outside the palace gates. And it's there where he overhears two guards planning to kill the king. So he reports this to Esther and Esther reports this to the king and the king is saved. Next, we come to chapter three, which we read. And we hear that Haman is picked as the king's right-hand guy. He is self-absorbed, boastful, and evil. And the king has ordered everyone to bow down to him. However, Mordecai will not do this. And it infuriates Haman, so much to the point of not only wanting to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of the Jewish people in that area. 
So Haman goes to the king and he convinces him, says there's this certain group of people not following his customs and his laws, doesn't even mention that it's the Jews. Haman offers the king a huge amount of money and the deal is made for all of those people to die at a later date. And now before we go to chapter seven, the Jews, they hear of this order and they are in mourning for they know they're going to be killed. And Esther has no idea what's happening. And she asks Mordecai, what's going on? He tells her and he asks her to talk with the king and plead not only for her own life for she would be killed, but also for the life of her family and her people. Now Esther's not sure how can she go about this. For, for her to go to the king, she could get killed for just doing that. She needed to be summoned by the king. But she uses her courage and her wisdom and she comes up with a strategic plan. You see, she invites Haman and the king, both of them, to a dinner. And that is where King asks her about her request and about her wish and says that she'll, he will give her half the kingdom. But she waits and she invites them to a second dinner. And that is where chapter seven takes place. The king again asks Esther, what do you want? What do you wish? This is the moment of truth where Esther will either live or die, will either save her people or fail. She responds that her petition is her life and her request is the life of her people. It is here where Esther describes to the king the ugly, irrational prejudice of hatred, of persecution, all in the name of money. She appeals to the king his economic sense by explaining that if all the Jews are killed, this would hurt him financially. When the king asks who in the world would do such a thing, she points to Haman. He's outraged, he leaves the room, he comes back to find Haman on top of his wife, begging. Hurt emotionally and financially, the king has Haman killed in the gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai. An interesting story to be sure. But what and how does that relate to our lives today? For starters, in Esther, God was not mentioned. But that does not mean that God is not present. God worked not by showing some huge miracle, but by putting people with the right gifts, in the right place, at the right time, uniquely situated to do something important in the world. And God does that for us also. When things seem out of control, when we feel like there's no way out of something, God's there. You know, you think about COVID-19 and our isolations and you you look at the political climate, you look at all the tensions in the world today, and we feel that. We feel that we are out of control. But please remember God is with us every, every step of the way and will never leave us. 
Secondly, the story. We look at Esther as an example of how to stand up for others in our community and in the world. For it is here where Esther stands up to the arrogance of power, of social status, of race, of appearance, of wealth. It is here where Esther uses her courage and her voice to name the wrong that was about to take place, even if it meant her own life. And it is here where she now understands when Mordecai stated that perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. So I wonder, are we people like Mordecai able to protest to the injustices that are happening around us? Are we able to stand up for what is right and not kneel to those who are using their power and control to manipulate and hurt others? Or are we people like Esther, who are able to use our privilege to bring about justice and change for others, even for an unnamed people in our own community? I think in this story and in our lives, we need both kinds of people. Those who, like Mordecai, are on the outside of the palace walls, maybe on the outskirts of society, maybe protesting the powers and principalities that exist because of change that needs to take place? Or are we like Esther, who have the power that are on the inside? Like in our world today, government officials, lawyers, teachers, healthcare workers, pastors, people who can make changes, whose voices and requests can and are heard. And thirdly, I want you to remember that all voices are important. Big and small, young and old, wise and naive, all people matter. And God wants to hear from each and every one of us. The book of Esther challenges us. It challenges us to use our power and our position and our privilege for the benefit of those who have been held down so that all can be free to be and do and live as God intended. It does not matter what political side we fall on, what social circles we gather in, or what religion we believe in. We have been called by God to love God and to love each other. Perhaps this is our time to make our requests known through our prayers, through our conversations and through our action. We are part of the dominant culture that oversees our country today. Can we give space to those voices of other races and cultures and religions to be heard? Can we really listen to their cries? And can we take action on behalf of those who do not or cannot have a voice at this time? I love my plaque. I had it in my internship office and I have it here in my office at Shepherd because it reminds me of my position in God's eyes, of my place in this community, and of God's promise that gives me courage and strength to speak up, to take action, and to love. Will you join me? Amen.
As we continue our worship this morning, we, um, all of us here at Shepherd, um, our church council and our staff continue to give thanks for the ways that you continue to financially support this ministry. Uh, we are so grateful for all of those gifts in the midst of um, uncertain and challenging times. If you have any questions about how to uh, continue to give your offering through this time, you may uh, contact Sean in the main office and she'll be able to help you. We have resources available on our website for all of that, or you can send your checks right to the main office. Again, we give thanks to God for all of the ways that we can uh, continue to do ministry here at Shepherd, which is, of course, supported by your financial gifts. Now with the whole church, let us confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. People of God, people of life, we gather as a holy communion for a meal that has been shared countless times in countless places and in countless ways. The first time this meal was shared, Jesus was gathered around a table with a raggedy collection of people, outcasts and betrayers, the power hungry, the fragile, the lonely, the lost. The first time this meal was celebrated, Jesus promised that it was for all time, that whenever the bread was broken and the wine was poured, wherever the story was told around a table, he would be there. Today, we remember the story as, as it's been told a thousand times over. We eat the bread and we drink the wine and we affirm that we all belong at the table and that Jesus is here. Amen. So if we come to the table angry, let this bread and wine be our peace. If we come to the table broken, let this bread and wine be our grace. If we come to the table betrayed, let this bread and wine be our wholeness. If we come to the table in despair, let this bread and wine be our life. For this is a holy table with food to fill the hungry and wine to quench thirsty hearts. Thanks be to God. So in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. If you have bread and wine or grape juice, you can commune yourselves and commune each other at this time.
together we pray for all people, those in our family, in our community, and in our world. After each petition, we will respond, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we thank you for the many voices who stand up to the evils of hatred. We thank you for the prophets in our midst, for the teachers, the testifiers, for the Esthers and Mordecais of our world, who continue to share the stories of their people. Give us the courage to listen to these, your children, who are asking us to change so that all people can experience your love and justice. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Dear Lord, we continue to pray for all who find themselves in harm's way. We pray for those who have found themselves in the path of severe weather. We pray for those who are subjected to the coronavirus every day, those who are deemed essential and those we will never see. We pray for the city of Beirut after the deadly explosion this week. And we pray for all who continue to flee their homes from war, destruction, famine, and any of the other trials which force people away from their home and family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O oh God, we continue to pray for all who have fallen ill in body, mind, and spirit. We pray especially this morning for Dan, Kamla, Diane, Robin, Nancy, Joanne, Addie, Kathy, Dick, Craig, Alyssa, and Kelsey, Angie, Jason, Lois, Tom, for Kat and her family, for Chad, Mark, Bruce, Marilyn, Tom, Maddie, Robert, Becca, Shalina and family, for Kevin, Mary, Doug and Abby and family, for Norma, Beverly, Dick, Callie, Connor, and Melvin. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. At this time, I invite you now to add your prayers, either in the chat, or I, uh, you, you may unmute your mic and speak your prayers aloud if you so choose. For Britt's young friend diagnosed with lymphoma this week, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our dear friend Marcy, who is fighting cancer. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. For teachers and administrators who prepare to go back to school and for the kids who will be going back to school. Lord, in, Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayer. And Trisha hopes that her body becomes healthier. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. For our church family members who are on hospice and their families. 
Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Please pray for the recovery of Mark Conrad, the cousin of myself and Hub, um, cancer of the lungs that's metastasized to the brain. And had surgery on his brain tumor yesterday, and he's doing better. He's starting to be able to talk. So thank you. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For my sister Beulah, who's facing um, bypass surgery in the end of month. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the homeless and those facing the threat of homelessness, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O God, we commend all for which we pray, all spoken aloud, all typed in a chat, all written down or kept in the silence of our hearts, and even those that are too deep for words that just come out as sighs. We commend all of it into your hands, trusting in your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This time I invite you now to unmute your mics as we together pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, hallowed be thy name, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, glory, ever and ever.
Now we close our worship this morning with God's blessing. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.